Deciding the price to charge for your membership is one of those things that seems like it should be easy, simple, straightforward. But often it's far, far from it. There's no clear formula. There's no sensible way of coming up with a price for your membership. There's so many different ways to approach it, so many different factors, and quite a lot of the time, pricing is illogical because so much of it has to do with the perception of the value that your membership delivers. So in today's episode, we're going to talk a bit about that and look at the different ways in which multiple different angles, different perspectives can affect your decision on membership pricing. Here we go. You're listening to the Membership Guys podcast, bringing you proven practical tips and advice from the leading experts on growing a successful membership business each and every week. And now, here's your host, Mike Morrison. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 320 of the Membership Guys podcast. I'm your host, Mike Morrison. Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you're new to the show, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast app to ensure that just like Aerosmith wanted, you aren't going to miss a thing. You don't want to miss a thing? Ain't going to miss a thing? I can. I really should learn the title of that song before I try and make that joke. But regardless, hit that subscribe button in order to ensure that you get your weekly dose of proven practical tips and advice on growing your membership business direct to your device. All right, today we're talking pricing. Pricing is one of those crazy areas with online memberships where it seems like it should be easy. It seems like it should be obvious. And sometimes it can be. Sometimes you just have a good feeling on how much you should charge. Or sometimes you're part of multiple memberships. You already have an idea or a sense of where you feel the sweet spot is within your marketplace or just what you feel comfortable charging. You pick a price out and you just go for it and you don't overthink it. However, if you're a little more stuck than that, if you're a little more undecided and you start trying to really, really nail down your price to try and figure out what is the optimal amount to charge for your membership, quite quickly that can become a very, very deep, winding, confusing rabbit hole. And the big part of the reason is membership pricing or pricing in general is not logical. So much of pricing comes down to trying to navigate a a multitude of different influences to trying to preempt various subconscious psychological decision-making factors that people will make when joining your membership. And before too long, you tie yourself in knots when you just kind of want to say, you know what, screw it, let's just charge 50 bucks a month. So I kind of want to delve into that a little bit. We talked about how to figure out what to charge for your membership back in episode 218. So if you head to the membershipguys.com slash 218, numbers, not letters, membershipguys.com slash 218, then you'll get that blow-by-blow workthrough of how to figure out what to charge for your membership, as well as a bit of information about what standard pricing is within the membership space. But I really want to talk about this idea of value, perception of value, how it affects your decisions over pricing, how it'll affect the way in which your potential members and customers will interpret your pricing, what sort of things they'll be thinking about, and how perception 
will change depending on whose point of view you're actually looking at. And a big part of the reason I want to share this, one, I just think it's kind of an interesting topic. Pricing is one of those things I kind of geek out about because, again, on the surface, it should be the easiest thing in the world. Just pick a plumbing number. But once you dive into it, there's just so much at play. And the reason I want to talk about this and the reason I want to blow this rabbit hole open is almost to demonstrate why you shouldn't worry too much about getting it right and why the idea of, you know, optimizing for the absolute perfect price is kind of a fool's errand because so much of it comes down to perception, perceptions that you can't control, perceptions that will be different depending on whose perception it is. And all of that means that you're never going to get it absolutely bang on for absolutely every person. So the thing that kind of spurred me wanting to record this episode is the fact that at the time of recording, um, Callie and myself, we are four days away from receiving the keys to a brand new house that we have just bought. We're very excited about it. It's been a very stressful process, extremely stressful process. We were perhaps a little over optimistic about how easy this was going to be. It was one of those where, you know, we were in a position to go right away. The sellers wanted a quick sale. No complications. This will all be done in three weeks, right? Yeah, three months later, after a lot of hassle, a lot of headaches, and a lot of other words I cannot say on the podcast and we're finally there. But anyway, what it really kind of did for me is crystallize the absurdity of the notion of value. And I think if there's anything that really shows the pliability, the changeability, the mutability, there's a word, I like that word, mutability of value. If there's anything that really shows that, it's buying a house. So this might differ depending on what country you're in, but just looking at the UK and, you know, it's a fairly simple way of looking at this. So on the selling side, you, of course, have the person selling the house. This person is going to, you know, value that property based on how much they think they can get for it. What's the most we think we can get for it? The estate agent is going to base it largely, yes, you know, they want to get a good price, but they're going to look at what else is on the market, right? On the buying side, the mortgage company are going to have a little more of a pragmatic, a more practical approach to it. They just want to cover their liability. And the buyer, well, the buyer is going to be all over the place. There's all sorts of different things that are going to go through their head in terms of how much they think something is worth. So let's kind of break it down a little bit. So let's start with the seller. So the seller will value the property and they'll want to charge an amount for the property based on how much they think they can ask for. How much is the maximum someone will pay for this house? It's almost even how much do they think they can get away with? How much do they think they can justify charging? It doesn't matter whether, you know, they paid a fraction for it previously. It doesn't matter if they think, okay, well, you know, a reasonable price might be 400,000, but we're going to push for 500. Like that doesn't matter. They are looking at what is the absolute most that we can get. Now, of course, they'll need to factor in things like, you know, whether or not they need to raise a certain amount of money to clear off their mortgage, to clear off any loans or debts on the property. They're going to be thinking about their next property. How much do they actually need to have in the bank in order to purchase their new home? Of course, there's going to be a personal and an emotional investment in the home that they've lived in, and that's going to influence what they feel is fair. But ultimately, 
they are going to be trying to get the absolute most money that they think someone would pay for it. So this is an example of pricing based on what will the market bear. So this term is actually an often used term when it comes to pricing. Pricing based on what you feel the market will bear. So you price it according to what you feel people will tolerate in terms of a price point, what you feel they'll be willing to spend up to. There's no real logic involved with that. You know, you'll obviously be looking at, okay, well, what have what have people paid for similar properties in this area and other areas? But ultimately, you're looking for anything that will kind of justify to you and, you know, put you in a position to try to justify to a potential buyer, having that ceiling, having that price point as high as possible. So that seller is pricing based on what they think the market will bear. Whether that's fair or not, whether that's reasonable, whether it's realistic, that's what they're going for. They want the most money and they're trying to figure out what is the most someone would pay and what is the most we can advertise this property at before someone will just look at it and say, not a chance, not a chance. And it makes sense. They're the seller, right? They're the ones who ultimately end up with the money in their pocket. Now, their realtor or estate agent, what we call them here in the UK, they will be certainly looking at, you know, how do we get the most that we can, but they're going to be focused a lot more on what else is on the market. So they'll be looking at, you know, the the factors that affect the marketability of this property. So what are other properties in the same area selling for? What's going on in the wider property market? You know, what are the market conditions? Is the property, are property prices increasing steadily? Are they stagnant? Are they dropping? That's all going to factor in to what they put the property on the market for. What other commercial elements are there? They'll have an understanding of, you know, is there actually a lot of alternative options on the market or is this an area in which not many other properties come up? That's going to factor in their pricing as well because they'll know what the supply and the demand situation is within a particular market. So, your realtor, your estate agent, they are looking much more at the market conditions. They're looking at the commercial side of things in terms of how do we package this? How do we present this? What is the competition doing essentially? And again, this is a perspective that you can need to take when it comes to your membership pricing. What other competitors exist? What other alternatives are there? What are they charging? Are they new Options that are opening up, new memberships opening up, are there big players, established players? How do you fit? How do you compare? Is, you know, this particular area you're starting your membership in, is it a rising trend, a growing trend? Is it a real hot topic right now? Or, you know, are you teaching people how to design MySpace pages? So again, your realtor, your estate agent, they are taking a look at that wider market. They have their finger on the pulse. What is going on within this space? So this is a different angle, a different approach to pricing and the way in which the estate agent assesses the value of that property or certainly, you know, the the ability to match up the pricing and the perception of value, their approach to it is completely different to the seller. The seller just wants as much as they can possibly get. The estate agent is looking at that and saying, okay, obviously we want to be paid a fair amount. We want the amount that we're paid to reflect the value of what is on sale, but... What are we up against? 
what else is going on? Where is the market? Where is the industry? What's the bigger picture? Where do we fit? And how can we price ourselves strategically according to those factors? Now, flipping to the buying side, your mortgage company. So really, two interested parties. There's your mortgage company, assuming you're getting a mortgage, and there's the buyer. And we'll come on to the buyer last. Your mortgage company have a much more pragmatic approach. They're going to be valuing your property based much more on practical considerations. So they'll kind of factor in things like literally what is the value of the bricks and mortar? How much would it be to rebuild this property? How much would we likely fetch for this property if we had to sell it at auction if the seller defaulted on their mortgage, right? So they're looking much more in real terms. They're not as concerned with, you know, whether the seller had lived there for 30 years and it's a wonderful area and the neighbours are friendly. They don't really care about that. They don't care about your neighbours. They also, you know, then less concerned with market conditions. Of course, that's going to factor in, but they're definitely less concerned with the packaging, the presentation of it, and, you know, strategically pricing and strategically valuing it. They are looking at it from a pure practical term. If the seller defaulted on their mortgage, their home loan, and we had to repossess this and try to get our loan back, what is the amount that we could realistically value this property at that we could realistically expect to recover at an auction in the fastest possible time without nonsense, without having to, you know, wait three months for people to make their minds up? How much could we just get this off our hands for? How much would it cost to rebuild if the entire thing fell down? They are looking in real terms. And this is similar to a pricing model called cost plus, which is literally what does this cost? What is the actual raw value in literal terms of the ingredients, the materials, the creation of this product? So with your home, with your house, it's bricks, it's mortar, it's the value of the land, it's stuff like that. And then they look at, okay, on top of the actual practical value, account for an amount above that to give us that kind of window, that buffer for us taking it to auction. But apart from that, that's that's kind of where it stops. They're not, you know, trying to jump on a hot market because the market might change in 10 years' time, um, which is the point at which they might need to repossess your home or whatever. So the fact that the market is hot, the fact that property prices are on the rise today, or maybe there's a, a lack of homes for sale in your area today, that's going to mean a lot less to them because that stuff, it's not about the, the realities, the here and now, the nuts and bolts. So your mortgage company are taking much more of a cost plus approach. And with your membership, again, that might be, I think that's perhaps the most basic, the most fundamental of approaches to how to value your membership and decide its pricing. How much does it cost me to run? How much of a margin do I want to make on top of that? there's your price. So if it costs you, you know, $50 per member to operate your membership, which by the way, if it does, you've probably got some other things to sort out, but you know, bear with me here. If it costs you $50 um, per member to facilitate the existence of your membership, so whether that's ad costs, so maybe it costs you $50 to um, recruit every single new member, you might decide, okay, we want to make 20% margin on top of that, and so you charge $60. So you look at the costs, you decide your margin, you put them together, and that's 
your pricing. And again, that's such a dramatically different manner in valuing your product from looking at what will the market bear, from looking at your competitors and finding where you fit in the market, and certainly from the sort of approaches that you would have, again, in the house bank scenario, if you are the buyer. So a buyer of a property is generally going to base their value and and the price they're willing to pay on a combination of two things. So the first of those things is budget. How much can they afford? Doesn't matter how much they love the house, doesn't matter how much they want it, this is going to be their constraint, affordability. Literally, how much money are they able to put on the table? And that will influence the perception of the value of your property is either. So this is less about perception of value. This is literally about limitations. This is about restrictions that are going to be put on their ability to buy, which again is another thing that you need to take into consideration with your membership pricing. What is the affordability profile of your target audience? What else are they paying for? What disposable income do they have? Will they see your membership as a must-have or a nice-to-have? You know, is it something that they need for their job and therefore, you know, they're more likely to perhaps cancel or downgrade their cell phone bill in order to afford your membership? Or is it always going to be something that really depends on how much spare budget they have, right? So these are all things that, you know, potential members of a membership site are going to be thinking about. If someone literally cannot afford your membership, well, it doesn't matter really whether they think it's a great place. It doesn't matter whether they love being a member. If they literally do not have the cash in their bank to pay your monthly fees, well, they can't be a member, right? So again, that's another thing we've got to think about with our pricing. But the most variable thing to consider with pricing and particularly with perception of value comes down to what your membership does for your members and their life. And this, once again, you get this with buying a house. What are the personal reasons they want it? What aspect of the house appeal to them? And these are always going to be so very, very different. For us in buying a house, there's a few things for us that aren't going to be a factor for other people. One of the first things is the house that we're buying is probably the closest that I'll be to my family and to where I originally grew up. Probably the closest I've been in over 10 years. So that's a factor. And I'm actually, I'm, you know, I'm getting on a, I'm, no, I don't want to say I'm getting on because I'm still relatively young-ish, but certainly as the years go by, um, I'm becoming a little bit softer, a little more nostalgic, a little more melancholy for spending a bit of time around my family, seeing my nieces, my brother and all these people and potentially, you know, reconnecting with old friends. Now, five years ago, would that have been as much of a a valuable thing to me? Maybe not. Um, But right now, just for where I am, just for where I am in my journey, that element, very, very specific to me, and to to Callie, that gives the property added value. You can't decorate for that. You can't renovate a property for that. You can't take the right angle photograph to put on your realtor's website for that. You can't optimize for that, right? It's a personal thing, and it pays. It plays into perception of value 
which is something that's just going to be so unique to every potential buyer, every potential member. Again, but this house is going to be larger, larger socializing spaces than we have now. Lots of zones, I suppose is the word for it. So lots of areas of the house that myself or Callie can either go to independently or go to together, which almost give you a change of scenery without needing to leave the house. That's very important for us because we are a couple who run a business together. Sometimes you need a little bit of space. And even if you don't need space from each other, there's some things like Callie and I find when we're talking big picture stuff, we like to change the scenery. We don't, you know, she doesn't come to my office and we plan out big picture. I don't go to hers to plan it out. We usually have to go to a different room, a different zone. So again, that's something that's not going to be as important to everybody. We need space for two separate offices. Again, we work from home. That's not going to be a factor for lots of people. Now, we don't have kids. So where other people might want bedrooms and, you know, the fact that they're going to be used as bedrooms will have implications on whether rooms are suitable or not. For us, we need to think about, okay, will this room do as an office? How far will it be from the internet router? How far is it from the door? So if the doorbell goes in the middle of the day, how far do we have to run through the house to go and answer it? Again, very specific to our circumstance. This house, it's a very nice house. It has an outdoor building with a gym and a pool. Now, those things, they make a change of lifestyle possible. And that's a big, big thing. And it's something that wouldn't be possible with other options. So again, some people will go and see that and think, well, it's wasted space. I can't swim. I don't want to swim. Uh, you know, why would I want to maintain a pool? Whereas we see it and we see a potential lifestyle change that appeals to us in a big, big way. And that all feeds into value perception. Then there's things we don't care about. We don't care about schools. Other than the fact we don't want to be too close to them, we don't want the noise of being too close to schools. We don't want people parking outside our drive and blocking our drive because they're picking their kids up from school, which happens a lot here in the UK. But other than that, we don't have to think about catchment areas. We don't need to think about, you know, will our little kids be able to get in the local schools? We don't have kids. We have no intentions of having kids. So something that is usually a huge factor for most house buyers is irrelevant to us. We also don't care about commute times because we don't commute. We don't really care too much about transport links because we don't generally take public transport. So again, a different couple could walk in that house and value completely the opposite things to us. And they could look and say, yeah, I wouldn't pay X amount for this because it's too far away from work because it's not close to any schools because the layout of the house doesn't fit how we want to use it. So the whole point of all this is to really kind of put you in your members' shoes and recognize that every buying decision is an individual one. Every buying decision is a personal one. What will your membership do for them? Where will it meet them at? So where are they right now? What's going on in their life? And where will your membership meet them at within their journey? How will it fit? What is it going to make possible for them? What's it going to change for them? Why is that something they'd be interested in? What are the factors are at play? And when you start to realize the reality that every single person who visits your sales page, reads your, reads your marketing collateral, opens up a sales email and 
contemplates joining your membership. Every single one of them will have an entire backstory, an entire collection of different factors, different thought processes going on around their decision to join your membership. Then the notion that you could come up with a price that each and every one of them would look at and say, yes, this accurately matches the way in which I perceive and value this membership. It's ludicrous, right? So that's really the crux of what this episode is about. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not really to teach you anything, but almost to kind of demonstrate just how nuts it can get where you actually dive deeper into the whole notion of figuring out the right price, the perfect price, the optimal price for your membership site. There are so many different approaches that you could take to pricing up any sort of product like a membership. You can look at what you think the market will bear. So what's the most we think we can charge before we start turning people away? You can look at what are other people doing and, you know, how does what's going on in the market reflect on what we can charge for this membership? You can look purely in practical terms, use a cost plus approach, or you could try, you know, pricing based on the value that your membership will have to someone's life. But with all of these, there's so much going on. There's so much changing. There's so much that's individual, that's mega specific, that you're never going to be able to land on that one perfect price. You absolutely nail it. So if you're struggling with pricing right now, if you found yourself wondering, am I charging too much? Am I charging too little? If you had someone email and say, I would love to join your membership, but I just don't feel it's worth what you're charging. Or if you've had someone email and say, you should be charging double for this membership. Or most likely you've received both of those emails in close proximity because that's what happens. You're going to be mega expensive for one person and mega cheap for another and you're going to be left thinking, I'm doing something wrong. I'm getting my pricing wrong. You'd second guess yourself. That affects your confidence, which affects your willingness to promote and grow your membership. And it just becomes a whole big thing. So I hope today's episode, while it's a little bit of a strange one, and if you're thinking, Mike, why in the world have I just sat and listened to you rant about your new house for the last 30 minutes? Well, I hope the point came across. I thought the house buying process and particularly the whole thing around how much each different party involved values the property at. I just thought that was such a good mirror image of just pricing a product like a membership. I suppose any kind of product. So I do hope it's given a little food for thought. Uh, at the very least, it's been a little bit entertaining or, you know, or just an interesting insight to um, what happens when someone is fresh coming out of the stressful three-month process of buying a new house. And hey, who knows, maybe this is just kind of the manic ravings of someone whose mind has been completely broken by, you know, the property market. So... I'm sure someone will come along and have a quiet word in my ear if that's the case. But I do hope that you found something of value in today's show. If you have, I will be back again next week with another installment of the Membership Guys podcast. Bye for now. If you enjoyed this week's episode of the Membership Guys podcast, we invite you to check out membershipacademy.com. The Membership Academy is the essential resource for anyone at any stage of starting, growing and running a membership website. 
Whether you're still trying to figure out what your idea is going to be, or whether your website's already up and running and you're just looking for ways to grow it and attract new members, then the Membership Academy can help you to get to the next level. With our extensive course library, step-by-step membership roadmap, exclusive member-only discount perks and tools, as well as our supportive, active community that will help you along the way with feedback, encouragement and advice, the Membership Academy is the perfect place to be for anyone looking to start, manage and grow a successful membership business. Check it out at membershipacademy.com.